you want to figure out how can I go out there in the world and feel quote unquote normal. I had the privilege of meeting incredible people that you would really only meet by chance. There's a lot of places on this planet that have humbled the shit out of me. I think the thing that makes you unique and different is the thing that's going to position you for success. I don't shine if you don't shine. I was glowing. You were truly in my damn homeland. Hey everyone, welcome to part two of our On She Goes at Ad Color 2019 episode. On this episode, the girls and I got to have some very poignant conversations around race, travel, sexuality, machismo, the entertainment industry, and more with Rebecca Sun from The Hollywood Reporter, Kara Wagner of Anomaly, workplace culture strategist Daisy Auger Dominguez, Jason Rosario of The Lives of Men, and musician, activist, and record industry executive Justin Tranter. Enjoy. So we have uh, Kara Wagner here with us. Uh, Kara is the group business head of Anomaly. And Rebecca Sun, who is a senior reporter at The Hollywood Reporter. That's right. (laughs) Nice. Okay. And they just came off of a panel called Defining an Identity Beyond Black and White, presented by Asians of Ad Color. And Vivian, you have some questions. Um, My first question is to Rebecca. I've been thinking a lot about Asian storytelling, just mainstream media, how a lot of our stories are tied back to our cultural identity, and it seems like we can't break out of that narrative, and it maybe doesn't even sell if it doesn't tie back to Asian culture or, like, the film being taken in their Asian countries and staying foreign. Are you seeing a change in Hollywood? Are you seeing um, people try to break that and actually succeed in doing that? Yeah, that's a really great question, and I am seeing that. And you're right about that perception. It's sort of like, I've always sort of joked that, you know, version 1.0 of Asian American storytelling is always like mom issues. You know, it's like your mom. Struggle, you know? yeah. Like everything ties back to your mom. It's like the Joy Luck Club. Like we needed that. Um, but, but you are starting to see, I'll tell you the best example was last summer, right? Crazy Rich Asians came out. And Crazy Rich Asians was, you know, it's in the title. You you can't deny the fact that they're Asian. It's a movie about Asians. But there was actually another movie that came out about a week later called Searching, and it starred John Cho. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you guys have seen it. He is, John Cho is Korean-American. The daughter is Korean-American. And it's just incidental to the plot. Like, it's not about the identity struggle. It's about a father looking for his missing teenage Mm. daughter. They could be any race, but the movie is set in San Jose. So why wouldn't they be Asian, right? So you're starting to see stories like that where um, it's not random, but it's the point is not the racial struggle. So it's starting to happen, and it, it only happens because you're seeing more stories. Yeah. Can I can I piggyback off of that question a little bit? Because um, I talk about this a lot. Because um, I'm in the entertainment sector of our agency, and you know, I think as, as people of color, just in general, it feels like all of our stories have to come from like either the stereotype of our culture or something around there, where it's like we can't just exist. We can't just be characters living in a moment. We can't have the normal. Rom- 
rom-com that is not necessarily tied to this or that. And I think it's so refreshing to see that we're able to do that now, you know? Yeah, for a long time, I think that for people of color, you had to justify, you know, like, why are you Asian in this movie? Like, why are you black in this movie, right? So that was sort of the barrier. But as you get more creatives, you know, storytellers, as you get more, hopefully, executives who understand, you know, that... Like, look, I like people don't have to ask me, why are you Chinese and you work at the Hollywood Reporter? Do you know what I mean? And so it's starting to reflect real life because of just the quantity, the volume is increasing. Right. That's great. Thank you. Thank you. And then just to pivot a little bit um, with, for Kara, as a leader in the industry, I think Asian people get stereotyped as passive or quiet and more reserved and those aren't bad qualities but they're not considered leadership qualities Mm. so I was going to ask you what do you what advice do you give to young talent and which qualities to hone in on as they're starting their careers Um, well I I mean I think first that's not true that there's only one way to lead I think there's a way to lead from the front I think there's a way to lead from the back and I do agree that typically especially in the U.S. we honor people who are you know and reward people who are loud and passionate and all of those things but I think today there is you know a change and people not wanting to see just the move fast and break things, but more kind of like be reflective, be inclusive, be intentional, and that's a really good thing. Um, I think you have you have to be authentic. I'm not about somebody kind of like adopting different traits that work for you, but I do think that you have to find a way to express yourself, and maybe it won't be through public speaking. I think that's a number one fear, but you can be a writer. I feel like the memo is back people do that now and people read those things and um, there's there's for sure more than than one way I think one of my favorite leadership qualities or leadership ways is servant leadership um, which is just the philosophy that you know if you work for me I work for you and your success is what makes me successful and I think the world needs more of that I think that's why um, people are starting to talk about how companies that are led by women who don't tend to have those brash um, and kind of, you know, passionate or bully bully pit styles of leadership are um, better on retention and better on profitability and better on long-term revenue. What advice do you have for someone who maybe is going through a relationship with their leader that they have that more old school traditional bully way like so you're the junior and then the person above you has the old school mentality yeah what do you do in that relationship I mean you know the best part the best when you get to like where I am in my career I think you become brave enough to to get up from the table when love isn't being served Mm. and I think you can start really early in your career deciding what you will and won't tolerate. You have one life. um, You can get another job. You need to, you know, insist. Work is a relationship that you are happy in it. Um, You, I, I, my work is not there's no such thing as like work-life balance anymore. It's, in, it's integrated. And there's no such thing as a person who's happy in life that's unhappy at work. So I just feel like if you're in a situation like that, just because it's work doesn't mean you have to tolerate it. Like if you wouldn't tolerate it in your love life or in your friend life, you don't have to tolerate it there either. That's really good advice. Do you guys have anything else? No, that was awesome. I just want to say, first of all, I just wrote down, get up from the table when love's not being served. Because yeah. that, like, 
I mean, like, I'm, yeah, like, that was like, you know what? Yeah. Get up. Yeah. That's yeah. powerful and amazing. I wish I had a shirt that said that. I might make I, one. I'll send yeah. you one. Thank you. I don't think I can take credit for that. I feel like I read that somewhere. Or maybe, actually, I think I was at, um, there was this amazing show at the Apollo. Lettucey did a tribute to Nina Simone. Yes. I feel like she said that, and I was Ooh. just like, that is everything. Wow. It's powerful. I know. Because it, it, it can literally factor into all parts of your life. Yeah. Your family, yeah. friends, your work, everything. Yeah. Work, work is life, and I, I feel like... You know, the more we realize that, the better we're going to be at, like, you know, being successful and, and mm-hmm. being our whole selves when we're there. Well, thank you so ladies. Thank you, ladies, both of you. Thank you so much. We have Daisy O.J. Dominguez, and we also have Jason Rosario. How are y'all? We're doing great. Thank you. We're doing great. We're so excited to have you. Fresh off the panel, fresh off the stage. That's right. Fresh off the stage. I just have a couple questions for the two of y'all. So, Daisy, you were the first person to bring up kind of colorism, you know, racism, which... I'm a fan of because I don't think it's a topic we talk enough about Mm -hmm. in our community at large. So my question is, with the Latino Latinx diaspora, you know, consisting of over 32 countries, how do you take a stand for the diaspora versus taking a stand for your individual community? Um, absolutely. And I think that that, you know, it, it begins with, with for me, really knowing your background, who you are. For me, I always define myself as Dominican and Puerto Rican because that is my national heritage. However, I know that I am part of a much wider diaspora. And it is a diaspora that has a lot of shared historical legacies, mm-hmm. starting with colonialism, which is where we're, to- we're going to talk about racism and colorism. This is the origin of all of that. It, it is also something that is very unique and different. And, you know, you mentioned the multiple nationalities that make up our identity. Some of us have very strong identities as Caribbean Latinos. Some Mm -hmm. of us are Central American Latinos, South American Latinos. And yet, the fact of the matter is, is that we are part of this wider diaspora and historic legacy. And where we walk on on this earth and in this world and within even the U.S. context, we are recognized as part of a much broader community. And so for me, it's recognizing who I am, recognizing that I'm part of a larger whole and celebrating that and, and figuring out ways to lift that up with everything that I do. Absolutely. Yeah, no, for me, it's the same. You know, we heard Ebro talk about it earlier. He talked about the trip that he took to Ghana. I was on that trip with those folks and and at the end of the year, and it was a transformative, impactful, life-altering experience. Um, And I just came back. I was in in East Africa for two weeks celebrating my birthday a couple weeks ago, and I try to, I try to, whenever I try to, whenever I travel to the continent, I try to bring pieces and elements of that back. Um, I think it's important. Uh, beyond making it cool to be of African descent, I think it's important to recognize that the foods that we eat, uh, whether it's mangu in the DR, fufu, or or uh, I don't know what what do they call it in, in Puerto Rico? Mofongo. Uh, Mofongo. Right. Right. <laughs> so what, whatever that is, that is of African descent. So being able to call that out and shine light on that. Um, the other thing that I do is is through my work around masculinity, I think it's important to examine what manhood and masculinity looks like across cultures and across the diaspora. Right. Where you know you have tribal uh, effects or influences on the continent on the way people perform. 
transform manhood um, and machismo clearly in our communities is, is something that we have to contend with. So part of my work is not only to try to challenge and define what masculinity and manhood looks like here in the U.S., but it's also to connect that back to the diaspora and examine what that looks like across the, the, the diaspora. So I think it's important. Yes, which actually kind of leads into my question for you, Jason, as the founder and creative director of The Lives of Men. How have you seen your work unpacking toxic masculinity have as an actual impact on the black and brown community? Like yeah. how, what is the impact you've seen through the work that you've you know, started and founded and continue to do? Yeah, well, first, I hate the term toxic masculinity. Yeah. I think it's a catch-all phrase. It's somewhat lazy, in my mm -hmm. opinion, because what you're really describing is toxic behaviors. Yeah. And so if we can really root the conversation there, then we can start getting somewhere. But I digress. I think the more important thing is... Uh, you know, when you talk about masculinity and the social construct, when all of that was created, just like when whiteness was created, it wasn't done with us in mind as black and brown folks. Um, there was a time in this country where we weren't considered full human beings, right? And so when you think about that and you think about the, you know, uh, bring that forward and understand how that affects us politically, socially, economically, understanding manhood and masculinity and how we are viewed as human beings and deconstructing that and changing the narrative around that is important. So that's why I think my work is important. It's not just about helping men be better to women or be better to underrepresented groups. It's about, first and foremost, men being good human beings. Um, and then what does that look like uh, when you when you um, uh, weave that in all the aspects of their lives? It's been this very interesting conversation the past two years about the term Latinx. <laughs> You know, it is a uniquely American term. You know, I've tried to correct the team I work on and saying this is the more inclusive term versus Hispanic versus Latino versus Latina. Um, how do you feel about the journey of the term mm -hmm. and what it represents? Mm -hmm. Listen, it can be very polarizing, but the fact of the matter is that language evolves mm -hmm. just as our identities evolve. And so I'm perfectly comfortable, and I've adopted the term Latinx, um, I'm perfectly comfortable with also moving between Hispanic, Latino, Latina, and Latinx. The fact of the matter is, is that it's about using language that makes people feel comfortable, mm. using language and recognizing and connecting with people in ways that makes them feel seen and valued. So if Latinx makes you feel that this is what your identity is and that works, I will use that term. It certainly is a far more gender-inclusive term. Mm -hmm. But the fact of the matter is that for those of us who grew up in you know, native Spanish language, language, we, we don't have a gen gender inclusive language. Yeah. We, you know, we end words in O and we end words in A and that's, you know, that's how we define what gender is. And so I think that it's part of the natural evolution of language and culture and identity. And I'm all here for it. Yeah, I'm not mad. That was eloquent. That was powerful. I mean, yeah, nothing else. Well, thank y'all so much for coming over here. I really appreciate thank it. Thank you for we having really us. Yeah, that. thanks for having thank us. You so much. Thank, thank you. It was lovely to meet all of you. Now we're here with Justin Tranter, musician, songwriter with Facet Records, yes. uh, also activist. Yes. Thank you so much for being here. So you just got off of a panel called uh, Broadening the Binary, Expansive Gender Identities in Media and Culture. Yes. Uh, we did some research on you. Oh, good. I love that. <laughs> I'm sure it was very entertaining. <laughs> it was awesome, actually. Um, you know, one of the things we noticed is that you've been an activist since high school. Yes. Which is amazing. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to know, what is the change? that you've seen or that you're most proud of around gender identity acceptance in the world? Well, there's a couple things I'm super proud of. The, the 
fundraising and activism I started in my high school was an AIDS benefit. Yes. Um, in, I started in 1997, and it still happens now. So the, the 23rd one will be um, in two weeks. So it still happens in my high school, and so that makes me beyond proud. Um, and a couple years ago, the kids decided to give all the money, the kids, the students, the teenagers, <laughs> decided, because um, every year it's a new uh, director. So right. um, it's a really cool process I accidentally set up, and so every year, you know, a group of kids at my high school do this thing and uh, they decided a couple years ago to give all the money to pediatric AIDS um, oh, research and uh, support in the Chicagoland area um, and so mm. that makes me really proud that that's just still happening and even mm. though the um, the fight against HIV and AIDS um, has changed yes. uh, and the conversation has changed there's still a lot of work to be done mm, sure. um, and it makes me really proud that these kids in my high school are still doing it in something that I created. So that's really beautiful. And then when it comes to um, gender expression and gender identity, um, I feel like I'm, what makes me so proud is uh, I, was, I used to be in a band called Sunny Precious Weapons and I looked super, super femme because uh, I am super, super femme. Um, but on stage and in that era of my life, I was in full makeup and six inch heels and fishnets all day, every day. And now when I see or hear or read about pop stars, um, Sam Smith being one of them, right. uh, who gives me a lot of credit, I don't know if I deserve it, but I'll take it, um, to loving my band and seeing how free and confident I was in my femininity and also um, how I wasn't afraid to be sexual in my femininity, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is a huge issue especially in the queer community, that the minute you're femme, you're no longer sexual um, or you're no longer desirable, and fuck that. Um, So to see Sam Smith come out as non-binary a couple months ago, um, that that shows me that there's a lot of hope because not only is he a very current, massive pop star, but, like, you know, people with 12 kids in the middle of the country love Sam Smith. So, like, he's it's not... He like is opening windows. Yeah. Frame of so right. I think that, that that makes me really proud to be a small part of that journey. Um, and then also in the music business, you know, I feel like um, it's a really bro-y space and it's mm. a really white bro-y space, straight as fuck and heteronormative. Right, right. And to be able to um, have the success I've been fortunate enough to have uh, and ask people to use they, them, and their pronouns for me. And we send out a press release, and it's all they, them, and theirs. And even though, as I said in the panel, um, I'm not that sensitive to pronouns, I'll be okay with everything. Just right. don't ever call me uh, my dog's dad. That pronoun really creeps me your out. Your dog's dad. When people are like, oh, you're such a good dad. I'm like, that's disgusting. Don't ever say that. I am his mother. Watch your goddamn mouth. <laughs> that pronoun creeps me out. I didn't realize that many people were listening. <laughs> yeah. But besides that, um, I'm not that specific, but I still do, I, I, you know, when someone uses they, them, and theirs, I do feel safer, and I do feel like right. someone really sees me, and so to be able to use that and push the music business forward in that way makes me super proud. And so you, you obviously take a lot of time to mentor younger musicians yeah. and musicians coming up, and, and do you see, um, you mentioned how the music industry, yes, it skews very, like, white male, heterosexual. Is there is there a change that's blooming in the industry, not just with musicians, but with, like, the people who are signing musicians, the record labels, things like that? Is there a change in acceptance at all? There is. I'm, I am seeing a lot of change very recently. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I feel like, you know, I've talked about it with a couple of friends. I feel like the creative communities and also the corporate communities, um, since our administration is no longer um, the moral leader uh, uh, by any means. Of course, yeah. <laughs> I'm seeing the creative communities and even the corporate communities really stepping up to the plate and wanting to lead the charge and change and take care of people mm. that need to be taken care of. Of course, there's so much more work that needs to be done, right. but I am seeing more diverse people getting signed. I am seeing um, more diverse executives um, getting raises that they deserve and promotions that they deserve. Uh, again, a lot more needs to happen. For sure. Um, it's not good. You know, I went to a big group uh, hang out with a bunch of A&R people and now that I sign people with Facet Records my company mm -hmm. I started with Warner Brothers um, sorry Warner Records the name just changed mm -hmm. um, uh, I'm now considered an executive too That's which awesome. is very weird for me it but needed. I'll take it needed, yes. and I was like oh I'm definitely the only queer person in in this space of so like right. 30 other um, ANRs, um, executives, whatever you want to call it. So a lot of work needs to be done um, but for a company like Warner Records to give my super non-binary queer as fuck self and my business partner who is a woman to give us the funding and the, the platform to create our own label I think is a sign of change that mm. I'm very proud to be a part of. Um, you know, what I take so, so much pride in is talent is talent. And, For sure. Um, but I really do want to sign people and elevate people um, that normally wouldn't. So whether that's based on age, whether that's based on race, or gender identity or sexual identity, um, you know, of, of the, the four artists that I have signed, um, about to be five, but we'll get there later, but um, <laughs> they're all people of color. Oh, um, uh, one is trans, uh, uh, the other two identify however the fuck they want to identify, right. <laughs> depending on the day. Um, and so that makes me super proud that, that I, am, I have these huge corporations partnering with me to tell stories for people that normally they don't get to tell their own stories. So um, I think that everyone needs to take those steps and have that confidence. Because I always say that diversity is not only good for um, culture and mm -hmm. good for the environment, but right. literally and figuratively, right. it's also good for business. For sure. Mm -hmm. If you tell the fucking truth and if you tell diverse stories, people will buy it. And it mm. seems like people are finally listening to that. Uh, it's like, think It only took God. forever. Right. Yeah. <laughs> We're getting there, yeah. Right. Yeah. We're getting there. Thank you so much, Thank Jessica. You. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks so much for tuning into part two of On She Goes at Ad Color 2019. Until the next episode, we'll see you later.